Welcome to Discover Energy Work. I'm Richard Wicks, and today we are going to be talking to Sean McNamara. And I was attracted to what Sean was doing because it, it said these words, telekinesis. And honestly, I've listened to one of our guests, Jeffrey Mishlove, there you are. Jeffrey Mishlove came on the show and he did a very interesting interview. So I was actually even more clear about what Sean does, but I really wanted to know where it was coming from. Well, very lucky, Sean, uh, months ago I wrote to Sean and Sean agreed to um, meet with us today. So welcome, Sean. How are you? I'm doing all right. It's great to be here and I'm looking forward to chatting with you. Right. And you are actually in Hong Kong. I'm not in Hong Kong, but we both share a sort of Hong Kong background, don't we? That's right. When I was a, a teenager for two years, I lived there with my family. And that was uh, during the Tiananmen Square massacre. So oh, it's very I interesting there. time to be in Hong Kong. Yeah. Oh, wow. So I arrived on June the 3rd, 1989. Hmm. Hong Kong. That was my first trip to Hong Kong. You've so already crossed paths. <laughs> I, I, yeah, I was in the uh, Lock Road in Chin Sa Choi in the IAC, which no longer exists. But yeah, it was a while. Yeah, it was an interesting time. But uh, hmm. yes. Um, I didn't know it's around that time. That's so interesting. Anyway, we're gonna we could digress, but we can talk about that off off uh, um, off interview, as it were. Um, I'm fascinated by what you do, and I've I've made a simple introduction. But what would be your advice? How could I improve that introduction of what you do? Oh, I I'm a guy who I've come to a point in my life where I'm seeking my own evidence about what's real and what the nature of life is and what the nature of being a human being is mm. on both a physical and a non-physical level. And I was a guy who was raised with religion, like most people are, but certain things happened as I grew up that forced me to leave my path, like a formal path, several times actually, until I got to where I am now, right? I had to leave everything I knew, anything dogmatic, so that I could start answering the questions that I've had for a long time, wow. answering them for myself, instead of believing what other people told me to believe. That's profound, so, man. That's profound. I mean, you, even it's also, it's very sort of vague. So I want to dig in, as you were saying, I want to dig in. So when did you like have a feeling like things aren't or things are different to the way most people see them? Um, uh, did, did you have an original experience? Well, when I was around seven years old, I had appendicitis and I was in a lot of pain. Then I went in for the surgery and they told me after the surgery that my appendix burst as they were removing it. And they made comments like, oh, it's a good thing we got you here when we did because you may have died otherwise. Mm. And as a seven-year-old, that's the first time I started thinking about my own mortality. Mm. And it haunted me. So I think that's the first time my perception of life changed drastically. I was completely innocent until then. And then I discovered my own mortality. And it didn't change anything for me spiritually because I, don't, I just think as a child with a child's brain, I didn't have that kind of ability to think in a sophisticated way. Mm. I was just afraid of dying. Mm. 
And at that point, I was I just relied on the faith that I was raised in. I was raised as a Catholic. My my family is still a Catholic family. Hmm. And so I I was a practicing Catholic for many years. Even as I grew up, though, I I came in contact with other religions. So I grew up in Asia. I was in the Philippines when that happened, and I was in the Philippines for most of my childhood. Then Hong Kong, and we visited other. We visited Thailand, Japan. Mm-hmm. We went to mainland China, or I did. My parents I did, and uh, Burma. They don't call it Burma anymore. But so I was exposed to mm-hmm. Buddhism and other Asian traditions. I went to Nepal as a teenager, and I was I was just exposed to this wider vision on planet Earth. It, it's not all Christianity, which I think it's easy for a lot of people in the Western world to think. That's that's what it is. It's all Christianity, right? But having right. been around Asia and also traveling, um, you know, we, I lived in South America for a while and was exposed a little bit to um, some of the non-Christian traditions there. Um, and just seeing that there are a lot of different ways to relate to reality and to religion and spirituality. So I grew up with that. I'll go ahead. Well, no, no, I mean, I'm, I'm fascinated. So, um, I mean, I totally concur, you know, um, Christianity in Thailand, I'm being in Thailand right now, is the alternative. It's not the mainstream at all. Yeah. Um, same in China. It's, it's, it's not a bad alternative. It's just an alternative. Um, and in, and very much in the same way we say alternative medicine, but you know, it's alternative for who? Like, you know the main medicine the the proprietary medicine in china is not western medicine although it's really made incredible inroads that's not a bad thing um but i'm fascinated um when we go from like these gateway experiences you having that background of various um worldviews or even like dimensional views like that there's more than one dimension to you um what, was there an experience when you went to a temple or that where you thought something else is happening can you remember uh, th- there is one experience that i always uh, reflect on and that was in burma we were i was visiting with my sister and my parents and i remember entering one of the pagodas there mm-hmm. one of the temples and it was ho- apparently it was housing a hair of the Buddha, the mm. Gautama Buddha from 2,500 mm. years ago. There was a hair there. And I remember being particularly struck by that, by being able to see it. I mean, it, was, it was behind a lot of thick glass. I, my memory is very fuzzy about it. They had it encased and very well mm. protected. Mm. And I just remember feeling a sense of, oh, how do I express it? Just a sense of, Wow, I mean, there was some something profound about it, and I even mm. bowed. You know, I was doing doing what I saw other people doing, bowing, and I, mm. I bowed when I was done looking at this thing, and I felt like a little bit more than just a tourist, right? And and I think that moment opened up the possibility in me that maybe there were other dimensions inside of me that I was raised Catholic, that maybe I'm more than just a Catholic person. Mm. Well, I mean, Jesus wasn't a Catholic either, either, was he? So, you know, I mean, like, I always like to say Jesus wasn't a Christian, just 
we shouldn't forget that. And I'm personally, I categorize myself personally as a Christian, but it, I don't think that it, it means I can't think in other ways. So, right. Well, yeah. I mean, that's such a good point about Jesus and, I, and the Buddha. He, you know, there, he wasn't a Buddhist when he sat no, down. No, he wasn't. Bodhi tree. And there's something really important about these models, these founders who, who began traditions that they had something happen to them and they went somewhere on their own by themselves to make mm. their own spiritual discoveries. Mm. And then for some reason, they felt inspired to share their discoveries with other people. And then they died. <laughs> and then those people turned the teachings into a tradition or a set of rules or dogma or this is how it is. And may maybe the first few generations, people actually had genuine experiences that mimicked what the founders experienced. But the problem there, even with the first generation, is that those founders, Buddha and Jesus and others, had their own unique path and made their own unique discoveries and passed on what they could, I think, out of a sense of compassion and generosity and care for the rest mm -hmm. of the human race. The problem is when their followers and the children of their followers grow up believing those systems they're missing the opportunity to pursue their own unique spiritual path you know they they grow up and say okay now I'm, now I'm going to be a buddhist or now I'm going to be mm. a christian mm. what about what you were born to discover or what is your spiritual crisis and and that's the biggest problem is when the child is raised in a family that already has religion it's as if they're uh, protected from their experiencing their own spiritual crisis because they're given the answers from the very beginning. And luckily for me, my fear of death as a child started forcing me to think I need to be sure that I'm going to be okay when I die. And so that was the driving force as right. I grew up finding the answer. Is there anything in me that's going to continue after my body dies? Right. And if I hadn't, receive that fear of death, I may have just grown into adulthood as a very happy and content Catholic believing what I'm told. Right. So in I'm, a way, receiving that fear of death in childhood was a blessing because over time it forced me to ask questions mm. in a way that nothing could answer for me except my own experience. Right. And it, I see such an irony, like the the um, the wise ones that inform you of of your um, uh, transitory state of of being on this planet as a as a living being were the were the were the doctors, not not monks. Whereas a very Buddhist thing to contemplate your death, like really contemplate that this is all uh, temporary and that there's there is more. Um, and I'm also, you know, what I'm, what I reflect on is I th reflect on Huinong. So Huinong, uh, the Chinese love um, uh, the hierarchy of tradition and transmission. So, you know, if you're the first student, then you're better. But if you're the second student, you're still pretty good. But if you're the third, well, you know, and they, they've got all these hierarchies. And Huinong, um, you, have you heard of Huinong? His name sounds familiar. But yeah. I uh, no. Very cool guy. Anyway, he <laughs> he. Um, you can see him. He's still he's still sitting um, in uh, South China in um, uh, 
Nanguan, I think it's Nanguan. And uh, he sat 1,700 years ago at the end of his life, and his body did not decay in the normal way, and he's still sitting there. And he's not like these mummified Buddhas. He looks like you're looking for the body to breathe. I've been there. So it's a Nanhua temple, a South uh, China temple in Shaoguan, uh, that's it, in Shaoguan, in, in Guangdong province. And he has two of his students are sitting who did the same thing. So it was like, wow. And one of the things he did is he said um, he received uh, the bowl from the Buddha as the sixth patriarch, and then he destroyed it. He said, nobody is getting a bowl after this. So he was brave enough to say, no bowl, no robe. There is no, there is nothing special about the lineage. And of course, his story about becoming um, uh, the, the Buddha, was, or the, the, the enlightened monk that he was, was a poetry competition. You've probably mm -hmm. heard about it. The, 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 um, one of the monks said, the mind is like a mirror and, and you have to keep cleaning the mirror so no dust lands on the mirror. And then uh, Huineng said, there is no mind, there is, there is no mirror, there is nothing at all. Where is the dust supposed to land? And then the, the, the fifth patriarch ran to the wall, scrubbed it out and said, that's a load of rubbish. And then said, they'll kill you because you're nobody. You're an unordained lay monk in the kitchen. Yeah, you're a, you're a nobody. You, you know, you've just risked your life. And Huinang was illiterate. So he wasn't, mm. he wasn't like, he hadn't followed these people. So I, I sort of love what you're saying because it really follows with that tradition where it's like, it's not about, receiving the secret knowledge although in some ways you know there is definitely that aspect i mean having studied with some amazing teachers myself um there is that aspect so did you have let me let me see if i can come in that angle did you have uh some experiences where people opened doors for you you felt like energetically or, or spiritually or informationally well, yeah, and informationally, I'd say something interesting happened when I was when I was a teenager. Two two things was, and I was still Catholic at the time. That one is, I saw Shirley MacLaine's movie out on a limb. It was a made-for-TV film, like a TV series. Oh, I haven't seen it. It's on her book. Okay. You haven't seen it? Yeah. I've got to see it. I've got to write it. It's, down. it's beautiful, and it covers a lot of territory. And in one scene. It depicts her visit to Peru, and she's sitting in a hot spring with her male friend, a guide of hers, mm. and she has an out-of-body experience. And when I saw that, I thought, that's what I need to do to figure out this thing about death. If I can have an out-of-body experience like that, I'll be able to prove to myself that there's something more than just my physical body. The other thing that happened was I found a book about how to have out-of-body experiences, the one written by... Robert Monroe, uh, Journeys right. Out of the Body. Oh, amazing. Yeah. yeah great and book. A great book. And I, I was still a teenager when I found it, and I was trying to do the technique he discusses in the book, and I had very limited success. I think mostly it was just that I was a teenager, and I didn't mm. have the discipline mm. <laughs> to train myself long enough to have a, a good experience. But it still piqued my interest. It still inserted that hope 
that there's some part of me that's more than just physical. And of course, in Catholicism, we have a view that there's the spirit or the soul that continues, but that was faith. And here we have the out-of-body experience as a technique where I could have the experience mm. well before I actually died. Because mm. that's, that's what I wanted to figure it out, was with plenty of time to enjoy the rest of my life, could I do it in confidence and comfort, knowing that mm. some part of me will go on afterwards? So that was one type of knowledge, was that kind of information. Uh, then in my 20s, I started practicing Buddhism. And of course, that was after a couple more uh, fears of death happening because I grew a lump in my chest. You know, there's that, that cancer question when you have a... Absolutely, a yeah, scary. So this, this death question was still haunting me and it yeah. would come around every few years. I started practicing Buddhism, thinking meditation will help me find the answer. And I started training with a Tibetan Buddhist tradition, which is... Uh, strong with the guru model. It's yep. the it's called the Vajrayana tradition guru yep. model. The diamond path. The diamond, yes, the diamond path and all that. Which there's a, a series of practices and levels of training that involve getting empowerments and blessings and mm. requesting permission to do certain practices. Mm. And I can see that in certain cultures and places on earth that might be appropriate, and that that system had found its way into the United States. But what I realized only too late was that this format is also an excellent multi-level marketing machine. Right, right. And in the end, I, I, I believed all of it. I was really grasping for straws, thinking this is what's going to give me the, the answers I'm looking for. But somehow I'd set aside my main pursuit of finding the answer about what happens when we die. And instead I started training to be a good Buddhist because it looked like a beautiful model, has a lot of information, a lot of books to read, a lot mm. of exotic practices. And then even there's something attractive, there's a powerful draw of having your own guru or your own lama or someone yeah. you can associate as, yeah. as the person with the answers and the blessings. And if they, look kindly upon you they'll give you the secret teachings and yeah and if you pay the money and go on the retreats and request all the blessings you'll get those most powerful practices the secret stuff so that you mm. become enlightened in one yeah, enlightened in your wallet as well that's right <laughs> sorry and uh <laughs> and you know this unfortunately i well, or for, uh, looking back, I would say, fortunately, I went on one of these very expensive, advanced retreats, thinking that I was actually getting somewhere, that I was actually developing as a spiritual person. And certainly I had learned to meditate. I've done a lot of meditation. And I think it did a lot to help me in some ways. But it turned out uh, on this particular retreat, the teacher ended up sleeping with my <laughs> girlfriend. And it came out later on that he had this pattern of sleeping with many of his female students and abusing right. people in other kinds right. of ways and i just thought wait a minute this guy's the guru and in tibetan buddhism it is a practice to view your guru as a perfect being as a buddha yeah because there's a saying maybe you've heard it that if you view your teacher as a buddha then you receive the blessings of a buddha but if you see your teacher as only a bodhisattva then you only receive the blessings of a bodhisattva Right. And if you see your teacher as a normal human being, then you don't get any blessings at all. 
again, I can see maybe in times in the past or other parts of the world that may have worked, but here it's, it's really dangerous because most of these people are not perfect, (laughs) but you know, this is their, this is their business. Do you ever think of it in another way that, I mean, I, I always feel like I've had some horrendous experiences and good experiences. Mm -hmm. Um, and do you ever feel like, like the enlightenment of and, and, and liberation that you achieved by leaving was facilitated directly by him in a way. Do you know what I mean? Like oh. it was the, it was like, it was that shock you needed to go, okay, I, I, I need to see this in a whole different way. Um, because that, yeah, I don't, do you know what I mean? It's like almost like, um, yeah. Well, I I would never go up to him and shake his hand and say, thank you for doing that. That was such a wise move. I'm not asking you to do that. I mean, I definitely appreciate, because if that hadn't happened, I'd probably still be there getting nowhere with my own spiritual growth. I would just be, I I would think of myself as a more advanced practitioner or having climbed some level or attained some stature, which was all artificial. The, The only problem is I ended up, focusing my attention on another teacher in this in the same tradition but a different teacher and he didn't he wasn't sleeping around or anything but he was doing other kinds of harm <laughs> to, to yeah. his close to students and it was more psychological than that mm. and i at that point i had to hit myself on the head and go what am i doing it's i keep falling into this belief that someone else out there has the answer mm. it is always the same thing like follow my system mm. Um, believe everything I say and I'll give you the blessings. You know, I, I fell right back into it. Yeah. And then that's when I really got mad, <laughs> mostly yeah. at myself. Right. And I realized, I mean, it's as if the clouds parted or the fog faded away. And I realized that I'd abandoned my pursuit of finding the answer. What happens when we die? I was still trying to be a good Buddhist. And there's an additional problem was I had become a a senior member of that community. So I had this title of senior teacher and I was a meditation instructor and I was leading retreats. Mm. These days I like to tell people giving someone a label or a title is the worst thing you could do to a spiritual practitioner. Mm because it's such a temptation for the ego. And I was thinking that I was actually getting somewhere because I had Mm. these titles Mm. and I had to face the fact that I wasn't. And it was all artificial. And I saw how I thought of myself being better than I or more developed than I really was Mm. and how the people that I tutored or who who I mentored, they had put me on a bit of a pedestal because I had this title. Right. And you know, I, there's this artificial thing. I was just so sick of it and I was mm. tired of it. I was exhausted by it. And I had to ask myself, am I any closer to my real goal? And right. I realized I was not. But I was still too scared to confront my teacher and to leave my community because that by then, everyone in the community was a friend of mine, my whole right. social circle, which I think is another key component of religion or tradition or spiritual Mm. groups or social groups that's what keeps people in sometimes when the first thing they need to do is go they stay because the social connection is so powerful right 
which is really challenging because <laughs> sometimes you do need to go even if it's going to hurt and it hurt me and so i i still wasn't ready to leave mm. and i started to dedicate a lot of time to answering that question and i thought about when i tried to learn how to have an out-of-body experience as a teenager and i wondered if there were other books out about it because back then i, I just knew that robert monroe book Hmm. And I, I found that many more books had been written since the <laughs> since the 80s. Yeah. And uh, I started working on those books, particularly um, by an author named William Buhlman. I just loved his his main book, his first book. Oh, okay. Well, and I trained, you have to send me I, what William William Buhlman, B-U-H-L-M-A-N. And he leads out-of-body retreats at the Monroe Institute in Virginia. So I definitely would recommend him um, as as, uh, someone who could help you do that, for anyone who wants to do that. So he helped me. I I never met him, but just using his books, and he had Mm. some CDs that I listened to. Mm. And after 13 weeks of training in a very strong way, so I would train in the afternoon and at night, I had my first out-of-body experience. And I want to pause and say this is another kind of um, learning experience. So I talked about informational, watching the Shirley MacLaine movie right. and reading the book. Yep. And now I had an actual experience. And I got it from a book. I didn't need a teacher's blessing. Mm. I didn't need anyone's permission. I didn't need to seek out hidden teachings. I didn't have to open my third eye. I didn't have to do any of that stuff. I just had to follow the basic instructions and train really, really hard and not give up. And then yeah. finally it happened, you know. That's amazing. You you are reminding me of like my teacher was a Taoist teacher, uh, Lu Jintuan, and he he said, if you follow me, you don't follow me. And if you don't follow me, you follow me. And he was just explaining the yin and the yang of like following somebody is not really following them. And, and, and Bodhidharma, this is one I love, because the Bodhidharma came to, in, uh, to China and he was an Indian and this, the pictures of this guy with this enormous nose and giant eyes, it's like caricature. And the emperor said to him, um, how much virtue have I got by building all the temples that I built? Because he built thousands of temples and people were playing, praying for him. And he thought, I must have this, what Chinese call gongde, must have this virtue built up, like, like I'm getting something material. And Bodhidharma says, oh, none. And then he said, so uh, I better get something from from Bodhidharma. So he says, okay, what's the deepest, holiest truth? And Bodhidharma said, in nothing, nothing's holy. Which is actually, you might say, that is the deepest, holiest truth, yeah? And and then uh, Empress Furious, he says, I'm the, I am the emperor of, you know, China and the heaven and earth and dragons and blah, blah, blah. And who do you think you are? And I think Bodhidharma says, I, to say that I know who I am wouldn't really be true. Yeah. Um, and, and at that point, he just went off to Shaolin and then meditated in the cave. So Bodhidharma is like this very, very cool, you know, super teacher, I think. To, to stand up to the emperor and go, yeah, yeah, actually, it's all, it's all, I won't say it's all in your head, but like, emperor your to your questions it's all in your head <laughs> and and there's a lovely book which you might like um it's by uh, actually a tibetan uh, lama 
who's no longer alive. His name is uh, Chogyam Trungpa, and he wrote a book called Shambhala, The Ways of the Warrior, and he talks a lot about spiritual materialism. That if you think, you go from a materialistic point of view of I'm trying to get more things in, in the world, and then you become, suddenly you experience something spiritual, meditation, then you go, okay, now I need to get all these, you know, spiritual things. I need to do a thousand courses or whatever. And like, as you say, you can read a book and you, if you're in that right state of mind. Um, and then of course, you know, I reflect like if you see yourself as the Buddha, then you are getting the blessing of the Buddha as well, aren't you? Just, mm. so it's like, I see a nice little circle happening for you. If you know what I mean, you, you saw yourself as like, I am the root of my own enlightenment. And then you became the root of your own enlightenment. Right. You know what and I mean? Yeah. I, you know, kind of pulling myself up by my uh, spiritual shoelaces, <laughs> pulling up my own boots and. Yeah. And, no, it's and a work. nice story. I mean, it's a nice, it's, it's a nice and it's, it's, it, it shows two sides because I think, you know, I think you're probably like me. I'm not here to throw stones at any religion or tradition or, or, or anything, but I may have had my own personal experience, which says that was really was the wake up call for me. Um, but for other people, they have gone places with it that I, I probably would never have done. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and just the wake up call to yourself that if you find yourself in that position, you know, yeah, I think that's an important point is that I, I don't mean to speak badly about Buddhism or Catholicism or any religion. And looking back, I think the biggest problem was my approach towards my teachers. It was my choice to put hmm. them on a pedestal and to give my personal power to them. And it could be that maybe I was too young. Even in my 20s, I was too young to take on this path using the guru model because I'd slipped into this parental thing where the guru is almost like a father or a mother. Yeah. yeah. And which, you know, we do that with, you know, people who believe in God, they might slip into that where God becomes the father. And mm. in Christianity, we use those words, it's the God, the father and the son. And right. It's very familial that way, which has its own hierarchy, who has the power and who, who serves and all that. And so it was a, basically I was immature in my spiritual pursuit. I'm so touched by your story, man. I am so touched. I think, I, I, you know what, I mean, you're so brave in sharing, really, I feel an enormous amount of vulnerability and, and difficult times that you went through. I'm really grateful, thank you so much. Um, but I, I do wanna also talk about um, what you're what you're doing with this because you're kind of famous for me for these these books you've written that sound like really good I've got to got to get around I'm, I'm writing myself a book so I can't I just can't look at anything but um, this these books you've written and and listening to the you're, you're doing PK which in Hong Kong you know PK is not a good word yeah did, did you know that <laughs> No. Yeah, it Maybe means. I used to have forgotten any of. Yeah, the PK. PK is like what you say to somebody you really don't like. Yeah. Okay. But they're a PK. Yeah. So the psychokinesis. Yeah. Um, can you tell us a little bit about what you're doing and and how that started? Yeah. So after I had my my out of body experience, which I'll just say 
obliterated my fear of death instantly wow. and gave me the courage to say goodbye to my teacher and to that whole tradition and to leave my entire social circle. I left everything because I had gained that mm. information. But I was still teaching meditation after I left because I love teaching. I mean, I'll, mm. I'll teach someone how to tie their shoes if that's mm. our connection. I just love teaching whatever. Right. And as a meditator, I thought, well, I would love to teach the out-of-body experience, which I eventually started doing. But the problem with it is you can really only teach the techniques. You can't show someone. True. You know, I, could, I couldn't lay on the floor and leave my body. <laughs> there's nothing to see. Uh, but I thought maybe there's something else like that where I could actually show other people the effect in broad daylight. And I was watching a lot of videos, especially about near-death experiences, because they were related to the out-of-body experience. Oh, yes. And I saw a video hosted by the International Association for Near-Death Studies, IANS, so they have their own YouTube channel, and I saw a video oh, where a woman named Cheryl Lee Black was talking about her experience leaving her body, or having near-death experiences, and talking about her experience with psychokinesis or PK because she had a lot of spontaneous PK where sometimes large objects in the kitchen would start moving in her presence or things yeah. would happen when she would get upset and that started happening when she was a child in school but then she held up a little container and inside of it was a piece of tinfoil on a needle and she showed on camera how she could place her hand near it outside the container and the piece of tinfoil would start rotating yeah. because of her energy or whatever it is that takes place during right, PK, right, right. which is another question. But I thought, that's that's it. I want to learn how to do that yeah. because I could show that to other people and show them that we do extend beyond our bodies, that we're not limited by this skin envelope. Mm. And so I trained. I, I saw other videos. Uh, there's a man named Trevor Seven who has a channel, and I thought his work was really good and he was really open with how he did it. And then I applied a lot of what I learned through Tibetan Buddhism about breathing into the body, working with the energy channels, mm. the energy centers. And I started to treat that little piece of tinfoil like, like a chakra, or basically as if it was an extension of my body. Right. Setting my attention to it. And this is while it's covered by glass to make sure the wind isn't blowing it or anything yes. like that. But it, that took me about two and a half months of training almost every day for at least 45 minutes to an hour, sometimes longer every day, sitting in front of this tinfoil trying to make it move using breath work and working with my energy mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. shifting the awareness levels in my mind. And for two and a half months, nothing happened. <laughs> And then one night I laid back on my pillow to fall asleep and the image of the tinfoil arose in my mind right behind my forehead. Yeah. And in the, the image, it was moving. Yeah. I just had to let it play out. I couldn't stop the image from happening. It just, yeah. it was a few minutes and then it faded away and I fell asleep. And it was the next day or the day after when I had my first success moving the object. And so what I like to think is, oh, something had to change inside here, inside my mind before I could see the change out there in the physical world. You know what I go, I mean, where I go is, is very much like 
I, I mean, sorry to go for the analogy of Buddha, where he tried so hard to, you know, basically overcome suffering. And he's like, he'd spent years, like, and it wasn't about a tinfoil spinning, but he'd spent, you know, which is, which is no, no disrespect, but he spent years. And then, and then he's, he sat down and he's thinking, just basically, you know, screw this. I've had enough. And and somebody brings him some rice, and he's all right. This is just relax. He's given up. He actually just given up. Then it all happened. Th- at that moment, when he just kind of gave up, and it just and so it's that moment you're lying down and just like, oh, you know, you know, this lark. It's not really that fun. And then suddenly, oh, I got it. And that would, you see, that, that fits in with what my, what my Tao teacher would always say. It's these moments of uh, Wu Wei, where you're kind of, you're, you, you let go. Mm-hmm. You, you let go. And uh, well, whatever that is. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And there are, there are more parallels there with, with that Buddhist notion of letting go. Because as I refined my technique, I, that it happened through accident. And one example is, I would notice that I'd sit there in front of the object, the, the piece of tinfoil or paper or cardboard. I'd sit there for 45 minutes, nothing would happen. And then I would start the daydream or fall asleep sitting up. And I would start to have little dreamlets while I was sitting there. Yeah. And it was in the moment when my mind would shift into a dreamy state, a very watery, sleepy state, yeah. when the object would start to move. Very cool. Or other times I'd sit there for 45 minutes and I'd be wide awake. And then I'd sit up and get ready to stand up and walk, walk away to end the session. And that's when it would start to move. Right. When I literally gave up on the session. Wow. And I just realized I, my ego was getting in the way. Like this, that conscious beta wavelength type of thinking was Mm. the block. It was the blockage Mm. and it limited my connection to this object. And when I could train myself to relax, to let go on purpose, which is an oxymoron. Like yeah, no, no, that, I mean, that, that is the way, isn't it? And, and, and I just like to almost say it limited your connection to that object but, and everything else, yeah, in a way. I mean, it's yeah. enormous, really. And, and is that something you, you, you're talking about, like saying this is an object, but once you can do this, because like, I, I think you are, you're going, well, this opens up a door for you if you can see it like that. It isn't about moving the object, you know? It's, it's not because for me, telekinesis or PK, psychokinesis, it's a style of meditation. Okay. And it's a constant reminder that some, it's the deeper part of me that is always connected with the world around me. Mm. And it's the logical, conceptual, self-limited mind that separates me from everything else. So when mm. I do my normal meditation i just remember that attitude it actually helps me meditate even better and it's a reminder you know when i'm going about my normal duties in life work or study or dealing with other people that when i'm too tight or i have a certain idea of how things are supposed to be or certain expectations that's what causes the blockage and I could either choose to recognize that and let go and let things move more naturally right away. <laughs> what happens most of the time, quite honestly, is I just get exhausted from trying too hard and working too hard. And then when I get exhausted, I'm forced to let go. Right. And then things happen as they should. So I'm still, I'm not a, 
you know. I'm, it's I'm the yin and yang, here. isn't it? it? It's like, you know, <laughs> you learn through grace or karma, as, as one teacher said to me. It's like, you, you're going to learn. It's just going to be one way. It's going to be the hard way or the easy way. And, and sometimes really, you don't even have a choice. Yeah, it's like, you're going to have yeah. to do it the hard way. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I'm the kind of person I like to hit my head on the wall a hundred times because when I stop at the end, it feels so good. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. So I, you know, it's funny because I, I used to be on this pursuit of enlightenment or Buddhahood or whatever, and um, and I, I still don't think I'm particularly developed spiritually. I'm nowhere close, but I'm also not that concerned about it anymore. Yeah. I'm just more concerned with. Uh, being more in tune with my deeper self and being in tune with the deeper aspects of the world and with other people. Mm. And, and I used to look for answers, but with, with PK, it's really hard to find the end of the line. Like, how does it really work? There are a lot of theories, there are a lot of hypotheses out there, but it's a mystery. The same thing with the out-of-body experience. Mm. Mm. Still a lot of mystery there, even though we can do it and experience it. And I, you know, and I've done things with clairvoyance or remote viewing, teaching people how to do that, how to see psychically. And it just shows me that the universe is a really, really big place. And I don't think in one lifetime I could ever figure anything out, really, compared to what's what's out there. Isn't that refreshing somehow? Isn't that like, yeah, wow, that's that that's going to keep you in your place that you're aware of that. That's so nice. Um, and, and of course, you know, uh, the whole... I would say the whole um, abuse of power story, because I, I, I have a psychology background. And uh, you can look at Dacher Keltman, Professor Dacher Keltman of uh, California University, I think it is. And he writes about power. And when people, when people ra- rise to power, they switch off their empathy. The, the empathy in monkeys, yeah, that is an alpha monkey, it switches off. They are not capable of feeling empathy. So... Mm-hmm. And then they have to they have to do some bad stuff, as it were, to be toppled from power. And then they go back to having empathy again. And of course, that's the circle. And if you can realize that, then you can be in that center point where you realize, yeah, that's a trick. It's a trick. Don't go down that path. They're lying. They're lying. You don't want power. Believe me. So yeah, and and so um. Um, yeah, I, I feel, I felt what I wanted to ask you was like, do you, are you teaching all of those things like PK, uh, psychokinesis, out of body experiences, remote viewing and, yes. or, or do you, are you feel like you're a resource that people can call on and you say, well, you go and try. I'm happy to, to tell you, you can, this is what I did, but if you want to come and learn with me, mm-hmm. welcome sort of thing. Yeah, I, before COVID happened, I was teaching classes on all these topics regularly to small groups, maybe a dozen people at a time or less. Right. Actually, without body experience, I'd keep it very small, maybe six people, because I bring in a lot of a lot of props. I, I do stuff with hammocks and other other things for some training exercises. But I was doing that maybe one or two classes a month, and then COVID hit. And I, so I couldn't meet with people. But by then, I'd already written a couple of books on telekinesis that have all the instructions and they have links to videos. So people actually see it. Cool. 
they can follow. And then with the out-of-body experience, I have an online course that people can take, and that includes lucid dreaming. And with remote viewing, um, now I have a book because I, I was working with some friends last year, and we actually used it to win a lottery here in Colorado. We won the lottery twice using this technique. How many numbers, though? Not millions. Uh, no, it was a small lottery. It's called the Pick Three Lottery, where you have to uh, predict the correct three out of ten numbers. Yeah. So the odds are quite favorable. Um, but it's still that, astronomical. It's still astronomical. I mean, I've done that. I've done this. So you, you're making me laugh because I did this with a group. I got 12 people together. I worked out a way of doing it. We did uh, ARV, Associative Remote Viewing. I trained with Lynn, Lynn Buchanan, and blah, blah, blah. And, and we never lost money. And that was a pick six. Um, but we also never won. We, we, just, we just managed. And I had a guy who was a physicist, and he said, the odds of this are ridiculous. They're astronomical. You, you should always lose money when you play the lottery. Um, and so that was kind of cool. But, you, I mean, winning, three, I mean, that's pretty cool. I think yeah. that's pretty cool. Yeah, tw twice. It was just a couple of months apart, if I remember right. But so I have a book and an online course for that. And but there are people who email me through my website and ask for advice, which I'm happy to give when I have the, when I have the time. And the way I teach, because I don't view myself as someone who has any answers, mm. I, I'm very clear that I'm giving people techniques and they can do with them what they will, that I don't own the techniques. Mm. And whatever answers or truths I don't even like using that word, but whatever they discover with the techniques, that's for them to have. Mm. I'm not going to give anyone any answers or any belief systems or anything like that. I mean, I'll, I'll consult with people if they have questions, but uh, all, yeah. all I know is we're more than physical beings and life does not end at death. But that's all I know. Pretty yeah. Much. And well, so, uh, yeah. 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 I, I like um, I like that approach because I always say like if you give somebody an answer they stop thinking because they got the answer if you if you give them a question that's way more challenging and you you kind of refuse to give them an answer say well what do you think <laughs> it's uh, like yeah. wait a minute I want an answer I'm lazy well, it's, it's really challenging and you just said it you said I'm lazy yeah. and I, I don't want to say that people are lazy but but actually. Because of technology and apps, and we live in a push-button society, anything you want, you can have at the push of a button, including the answers. It, it, and, um, I think it's such a complex thing. We have, uh, we have a conformity, we have uh, obedience, we have so many experiments, we say like, and uh, depersonalization, I mean, it's, like, it's enormous. It's, it, I, I, I know that it's been, I always say, Sorry, psychic is the new gay, yeah, mm. because it's so it's kind of frightening to, you know, say I experience these things and other people don't because we all want to conform and belong to our group. Um, but um, yeah, that's a whole other subject. So people can connect with you. You you do um, online courses and coaching, and and you and I can put a link to your website on the this podcast, and and you know we can hopefully raise the awareness and, and you know that would be very cool yeah i think there is a blessing to the internet for example the conversation that you and i are having that thousands of people can listen to it 
we're discussing things that used to be very private or that we'd be burned at the stake for. And now people are learning because of technology, because of the internet. Mm. And um, maybe society as a whole is waking up to this, that it's normal, that it's a normal part of being a human being. There's so many people who have psychic experiences and they didn't have anyone they could talk to, but these days you can just hop online and find out that many people are having strange experiences that really aren't strange anymore. It's just right. being more Definitely. recognized as a natural part of being alive because we're, we're human beings with human consciousness and it's normal for sometimes strange things to happen. <laughs> Sean, in Thailand, they do this for everything. So I'm going to do it. Thank you so much yeah. for coming and sharing. Um, you're a brave man. And I'm very impressed um, by that, especially like mm. your humility and vulnerability. It's really, really refreshing. So well, I, was, I really enjoyed talking to you. This was a lot of fun and hopefully we can talk again someday. This is, I think this is really great. <laughs>
I've got an admission to make. Um, I had to just take some little snippets out of that interview. It was so amazing to talk to Jasmine. You know, I took... It's the longest interview I've done uh, so far. Uh, she's got so many stories, and I wish um, we can have her back and, and hear more of her stories and hear how she's getting on. And do connect with her at Kimbali in Hong Kong. And uh, do connect with her if you just want to connect back with yourself and back with nature. This is Discover Energy Work, helping you discover energy work. <laughs>